a Podcast One production. G'day, I'm Chris Russell and welcome to Agriminders. With over 11% of the fresh milk consumed in Australia and New Zealand now being A2 milk, the growth in demand for this product has been profound, so much so that it's approaching the boundary between A2 milk being a niche product and a mainstream product. Indeed, such is the growth in demand for milk with only A2 protein in it, that the A2 milk company, which only listed in 2015, now has a market value higher than Medibank Private, Lendlease, Caltex and Coca-Cola Amatil. To discuss what's driven this phenomenon and whether this could potentially help consumption of traditional dairy products, our AgriMinder today is the Chief Executive Officer of the A2 Milk Company, Jane Herdlicker. Welcome to AgriMinders, Jane. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell me what magic is in A2 Milk that's made this amazing story happen. Well, it's pretty simple magic. It's taking milk back to the way it was originally um, thousands of years ago before gene mutation took place in dairy cows, which created this A1 beta-casein protein. So milk was originally all A2 milk? Milk was originally all A2 milk. As this gene mutation, as dairy uh, herds were being aggressively built uh, for volume, uh, that changed the composition of cow's milk. So do any other species have A2 milk or A1 milk or are they all Well, A1 the interesting thing A2? is that all mammals produce, with the exception of dairy cows, all mammals produce only the A2 protein. Right. And so goat's milk is A2-only protein. Sheep's milk is A2-only protein. Human all, milk? Human milk is only A2 protein. Okay. And so as it turns out, it's um, an irritation created in the breakdown of the A1 protein beta-casein protein as it's being digested by humans that is causing a lot of inflammation and discomfort in many people, which they originally thought was lactose intolerance. And now we're increasingly uh, confident that the majority of people who think they're lactose intolerant are actually only intolerant to the A1 beta-casein. And if you produce milk from A2-only producing cows, you generate a much easier-to-digest milk. Is it just a molecule difference, a different molecular structure between the two? It's a different molecular structure between the A1 beta-casein and the A2 that breaks down at a particular point in the chain and it creates an enzyme that's difficult for the human body to digest. So, I mean, you came from being the CEO of an airline to being CEO of this company. I imagine your feet didn't touch the ground much in in the airline, but, I mean, this must have been breathtaking to see what you've really taken over here. This is an extraordinary company with a very significant opportunity, um, not only in Australia and New Zealand, but facing the rest of the world. We're now selling our product and building a strong brand in the two biggest consumer markets in the world. So China and the U.S. are both populations that are really interested in our product and in the mix of things that we're bringing to consumers for nutritional purposes. And we're just enjoying the challenge associated with gearing up to be able to serve consumers in a very different way. So why do you think it has caught their imagination? What are the particular advantages that they've seen that they've said, we have we're going to accept this product and use this? Well, there are a few macro factors that are taking place with consumers around the world. One of them is a much greater consciousness of health and wellness. 
and really wanting to get to the bottom of what for them as an individual drives health and wellness outcomes. And the second thing is provenance, understanding where the product you're consuming originates. And consumers are doing a whole lot more work than they ever have before in really tracing the lineage of what they're consuming. And on top of that, you've got the growth in digital and all the information that comes with that, and then also the growth of the middle class in China. And we think it's a combination of those factors that's playing into our hand because we're providing an unusual and different choice to consumers that is causing them to um, step back and take note and ask questions and do their homework, and they're making decisions that are different than the decisions they've made in the past. And the thing that's most exciting about that is we're bringing consumers back into the consumption of dairy who had left because they didn't think they could digest cow's milk. So I've seen all sorts of claims when I've been reading about this, varying from, you know, changes in the way the gut digests things to how long food sits in the gut and even to people having less broken bones. I mean, how many of these things are perceptions and how many of these things, in your view, are are actually real? They sound so diverse. Well, there is increasing science that says the health of the microbiome in the gut actually relates to the health of the overall body. It relates to the health of your brain and your ability to age effectively. It relates to, you know, the health of muscle tissue. And so it's a whole body impact that goes far beyond just the discomfort that you feel in digesting some foods over others. And so consumers talk to consumers and health professionals talk to health professionals about the impact of taking inflammatory foods out of their diet And in particular, they find the A1 beta casein, which is found in normal milk, to be an inflammatory food. And so the consequences and the health benefits to consumers are vastly far-reaching and more far-reaching than just the digestive issue, um, which is where we started and where most consumers began their journey in understanding their choices. So I I noticed while we're talking about data that there was a study came out in July in China that they compared both A2 milk and A1 milk when being fed to children. Um, And that seemed to have a big change in the view of our understanding of how it affected children's development and so on. How how important was that study to your kind of company's um, standing, if you like, amongst the food buying public? It's an important study, um, and it puts a lot of context around you know, different cultures uh, consuming A1-free uh, milk. The, you know, the, the studies that are done around the world by health professionals, research scientists, et cetera, we think are all helpful because it gives consumers a place to go to better understand what their choices are and the impact of those choices. And there's no doubt from our standpoint that the study is pointing to, you know, important aspects of the benefits associated with taking inflammatory um, dairy products out of your diet. So that compares with study. There was a study I know done at Sydney University, mild university, way back in the early 2000s. It was more of a review than a study. But they concluded that this was all just data-free opinion. There was no evidence at all that the A1 protein caused any of these things. Have we come data-wise a long way since then, in your view, or are we still struggling with data, or where are we at in terms of of good peer-reviewed data? From our company's standpoint, there's never been any question in the founders of the A2 Milk Company did quite a lot of research before starting the company. And they spent a decade trying to get people to 
take them seriously. And of course, the world's dairy industry has been quite keen to shut them down and shut down that voice because it wasn't in their interests. So from our standpoint, it's really important that consumers have choice. It's really important that consumers are informed. We think um, there's a spectrum of people who have different health needs and and, uh, challenges physically, and we're providing those people um, choices, and that's good for the industry. It brings energy back into the industry. The dairy category in Australia is growing. Most Western dairy markets are still in decline. Uh, In Australia, since we started to gain traction in the fresh milk cabinet, the dairy industry's um, experienced significant growth. Um, is there a program in your company to actually build that data? So we're letting researchers around the world do the work for us, and we, you would imagine us to continue to do ongoing um, R&D and to make sure that we understand what the facts look like. But it's better come, it better comes from independent sources than coming from us. And, and in fact, the most qualified opinions from a consumer standpoint is other consumers. And they get a little bit lost in the, the scientific approach to evaluating one opportunity relative to another with respect to um, foods in particular. But listening to consumers talk about the benefits for them individually and what they've experienced and the storytelling that comes with that is the most powerful uh, form of data collection from our standpoint. So would you agree that perception has sort of outpaced the no, data a little bit? No, I agree with that because you we see, see the data around the world and we think there's plenty of hard data that supports our view and we think consumers have stood behind that and are voting with their feet. I must say I've spent a fair bit of time in China over the last few years and their emphasis on food safety is extraordinary. I met a young lady up there who was, you know, doing some work for me and she just had a a baby late in life, but recently she was spending $1,500 a month on Australian milk formula. $1,500 a month didn't blink an eye about that because to her, that was such an important issue. I don't think she'd read a single piece of data. She just believed it came from Australia and it was made by Australian companies and it was Australian milk. And that was what she was going to do. Is that a common sort of phenomena that you've seen in China particularly, which I know is a big market for you? I think the Chinese consumer, you know, overall is a very well-informed consumer. They do their homework. Some go to great lengths to do their homework and they'll go and read research studies and they they, they really independently do um, quite a lot of reading and form their own views. Many consumers are heavily influenced by word of mouth, uh, friends that they know and trust, family members that they know and trust. And there's one simple fact, which is consistent across all consumers, which is they want the very best for their child. That's not different to parents in other markets, but the importance of food safety and security is is a top of mind issue. And, and they don't take as much for granted as we do on that count because they're a newer, younger consumer economy. And a lot of the food safety processes and procedures are still um, catching up with the size and scale of the consumer market. So they can rely on Western companies um, and trust the provenance of those um, foodstuffs in Australia and New Zealand are considered very high quality places to get uh, meat, so all of your proteins, uh, including dairy, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables um, and and ingredients uh, to feed your child. 
what do you think the lessons are here for niche marketing of agricultural products um, that you've that have been really discovered through the A2 milk story? Well, I would think about it a bit differently in that I think what Australia and New Zealand have done very well is think about value-added products and innovation to take what is otherwise treated as a commodity to take innovation to position that commodity in a way that is value-adding to consumers in another market, particularly China. But all of Asia, really, I think, you know, we've done a relatively good job um, in serving interesting uh, opportunities that that grow the, the size of the opportunities farmers have and uh, processors and food manufacturers have. So you said a bit earlier that you felt that A2 milk had been a big factor in bringing people back to consuming milk that had had to abandon it previously. Do you think that the total future of the dairy industry is that you're going to have some play in that future of the dairy industry? Where do you see the dairy industry in Australia going in the future? Well, I think most industries um, have in today's world have to continue to reimagine the role that they play um, and well, maybe with some exceptions like the resources sector. But if you're playing in the consumer space, you, you have to stay um, abreast of changing needs and desires of consumers, especially in fast-moving environments. And so for us, we look into China and the U.S. as two of the most dynamic consumer economies in the world. And if we want to compete in those markets, we have to stay on top of changing trends and patterns of behavior. Um, I don't think consumers look at the choices they make in the grocery store by industry. They don't look at dairy and say, okay, what's the future of dairy? Consumers look at it in terms of what are the choices I have for nutrition for me and for my family and what choices um, are best for, uh, for me and for my family. And so we have an obligation to stay very close to changing consumer needs and patterns of behavior and build our business back from that. And that's how we anchor. That's how we orient. We don't think about ourselves as a dairy player and we don't think about how we're developing our business in the context of the way the rest of the industry is developing. We think about our business in the context of what consumers are we serving and how do we best impact their lives day to day by providing them the very highest quality dairy nutrition. And what about the producers? Have you got a, a growing number of people producing this A2 milk for you? We do, and it's very exciting, actually. The number of farmers that we have impacted and bringing them into a different um, form of their business and to help them generate a value-added um, business is it's exciting. And the opportunities we have together as a community to continue to innovate, to continue to lift the standards for what great dairy farming looks like, it's exciting. What has it really meant for the producers that have become part of the A2 milk story, if you like? Well, for those producers who've been working with us, they are getting paid more money because they have to do more work for us. Um, it, it takes a lot to provide um, liquid milk at the standards that we set. And the processes that we require to ensure those standards are significant. And so there, there's an opportunity for those farmers to earn more as a consequence off their farm. And we, we hope that's exciting to farmers and that it's creating good energy for young farmers coming up because we're demonstrating there is opportunity to innovate, to provide value added, uh, to think about your business in a slightly different way. And I love the stories that I'm hearing out in the community. 
Any new technologies you think are going to be very significant in the dairy industry? I actually call this episode Dairy Dairy Quite Contrary because there's so many variations we've seen come into the dairy industry. I mean, how significant are those and how important are those in growing the dairy industry as part of, you know, our food business? I think it's critical and it runs, innovation runs across a very big spectrum in dairy um, and that spectrum will do a couple of things. One, it'll improve yields, it'll reduce costs, um, it will improve sustainability and it will enable pathways for value-added product development Um, and I think make it possible for relatively small farms to do some very unique things that differentiate themselves and create more viability for the farm over time as a consequence. And do you, do you see that the growth for us is going to be in, in the whole milk area or do you think it's more in, you know, the kind of uh, add-on, add-on type products like, like infant formula and other things? Where, where is the future really for growing the Australian uh, dairy industry? Well, I actually think it's across all aspects of the um, dairy industry. Um, it'll be ingredients, um, it'll be value-added products, it will be whole milk and selling whole milk um, or liquid milk into um, the growing appetite for um, fresh milk in China. We have a really important opportunity in front of us and we need to recognize and treat it respectfully because there is a lot of opportunity in serving a very fast pace of growth in Asia. And you spoke before about the willingness to pay more for high quality nutrition for children in China. There's a growing middle class in Asia that is significant generally. In China specifically, the dynamic is very powerful for companies that are providing um, value-added nutrition. The opportunity exists because of the one-child policy back in time. Um, There are typically six adults supporting one child. Increasingly, there will be more than one child, but there will still be six adults supporting those children because the grandparents each had one child. And so you basically have six pockets supporting one or two children today. And that enables spending power that's far beyond what you would imagine for the per capita income levels and those per capita income levels are growing significantly. China has done a phenomenal job in building its economic um, power and building the consumer economy. And it's done that by focusing on the, the things that would really matter in building um, jobs and opportunities for its people. And the impact is significant and we've just seen the, I think, early stages of it. And in terms of Megan Clark's statement, which we've been sort of working around during this whole series, that we only know how to produce about 30% of the food that we're going to need over the next 50 years, um, what is the place of Australia in that? Is it through niche marketing or do you think our role is much broader than that? And again, I don't see it as niche marketing. I see it as thinking about consumer opportunities and value adding to go after it. And you do have to think about what's happening in the market around you. You can't start from how I've always um, produced on my farm. You have to think about it from the standpoint of where are the consumer markets going and how do I participate in that in a way that extracts the most value for me and for my family and, and, and creates a legacy. 
And you think it's going to attract the investment that's needed to actually develop all these new ideas and so on? I mean, obviously, A2 Milk Company is a listed company as from 2015, and it's attracted a significant following. But there's often a criticism made that all this money that's lying around in super funds and so on just isn't being put into possibly the most critical issue the world faces today, which is food security. Is this the way that they're going to see an opportunity to invest some of that money? Well, I would hope so. I, I think there are interesting opportunities and it requires thinking about wh- where, do I, where do I invest and how do I ensure that I'm building a platform for the future in the way that I do that. And if you're doing that oriented around consumers and markets and how they're unfolding around you, then I, I think you've got the best possible shot at being successful. And if you're thinking differently about how you want to use technology and you're thinking about using data and analytic tools to help you run your farm better, well, then I think you're playing into a sweet spot and the opportunities are very significant. But they require different skills and adding value in ways that maybe weren't necessary in the same way in the last couple of decades, but are going to be essential going forward. I guess, Jane, all I can say is, you know, congratulations on, I think, what has been a quite unpredictable and amazing story with A2 Milk, really, because it's it's really flowed forth, if you'll excuse the pun, and it's turned, you know, a business which was marginal for some dairy farmers into a profitable one. It's also put Australia on the map, I think, in a lot of these countries with a product that is quite unique. Uh, and uh, uh, it's been an amazing story. So well done, and thank you very much for being one of our Agriminders today. A pleasure. It's it's been a joy to be here. Thank you. The dairy industry in Australia has been and still is quite contrary in both profitability and indeed in producer confidence. But as we've heard, it's come a long way despite the hurdles and distractions that have been put in its way. Milk is a staple food that has been long undervalued Australia-wide. And we've come to understand that perception is king when it comes to food safety and health. And there is no doubt that we have maximised our advantage in the marketing of our dairy products overseas. And closer to home, despite there being often a lack of quality scientific data or even the presence of negative scientific review of some of our most popular niche or value-added products, many of them are still thriving because they do fulfil a consumer demand. And these factors are what have brought prosperity and optimism to dairy farmers that have been able to climb on board the accelerating train of their success. I'm Chris Russell. Join me again on AgriMinders. Special thanks to the AgriMinds Think Tank Group. AgriMinders was presented by me, Chris Russell, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer extraordinaire was Jenny Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search AgriMinders on Apple Podcasts.